0: My guest today on the ATL Career Journey podcast is Jackie Chu, who is an innovation enthusiast and has been a successful presence in the Atlanta startup community. She has more than two decades of experience delivering creative, data-driven strategies for venture-backed, high-growth companies. She's also a TEDx licensee, an active mentor, and a board member of several organizations. Her career journey began in Singapore, moved to Hawaii for school, started in the music business, and then found her way to Atlanta in the growing tech industry. Jackie shares some secrets for success, including being curious, remaining open to new experiences, and taking risks when you are young. We actually recorded this at the beginning of May in honor of both Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month, as well as Mental Health Awareness Month. We touched on both of these topics in our conversations, and I really learned a lot. I hope you enjoy this conversation as well. so great to talk to you again. It's been a while since we spoke. Um, You know, we met at a networking event a long time ago, and uh, you just finished up this TEDx Atlanta event last month, and I was so bummed I could not make it, but um, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me, Paul.
0: Yeah, so I think for the listeners, maybe we kind of go back and start with your background. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Where'd you grow up?
1: Most certainly. Uh, I I originally grew up in Singapore, and I moved to the United States and Hawaii specifically uh, back in the 80s, and uh, and I moved to Atlanta in the late nineties, uh, ninety-seven, the year after the Olympics.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: uh, and I started my career uh, in the early days as a marketer, uh, which I'm proud to say I still am a marketer. Uh, but yeah. it's, but but the journey has, the journey has uh, has evolved tremendously, and certainly the definition of marketer and marketing has certainly evolved. Uh,
0: did you um, when you were in high school let's say did you know what a marketer does or did you feel like that was just a um, innate ability that you were doing even at that age?
1: in high school I uh, I was on the science track actually I was on the physics chemistry uh, track uh, an engineering track if you would in terms of uh, my, my education and what I was learning in school, and so I hadn't thought of marketing at all. Uh, and it wasn't until college that I uh, I was exposed to more, and you know, being that naturally being exposed to more and being willing to consider the possibilities and finding what I enjoy, I I discovered that I had a real love for the performing arts, and I had a real love for promoting it. And so that's how it really started.
2: That's
0: interesting. So that's a big shift from, you know, math, science, heavy interest, engineering track into performing arts. Was that kind of uh, dual brain? Because I know I I have lots of varied interests, and they don't always line up or, you know, make sense to some people. Were you just had a wide interest that you started to explore? Tell me a little bit about that.
1: I am. I can't say that I had a broader interest than other kids my age at the time. Uh-huh. Uh, I I see. Perhaps the difference was my willingness to venture outside my own comfort zone, and the an innate a strong innate curiosity about things that are new.
2: Mm.
1: I I believe that those those two traits or those two leanings and inclinations. Gave me allowed me to explore opportunities and explore areas that perhaps someone who had originally or was bent on an engineering path wouldn't probably have explored.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And, you know, did you because coming from the culture of Singapore to Hawaii to Atlanta, um, you know, three kind of different, um, I think, vibes in general. um, Were there adjustments that you had to make? to, to sort of be successful? Or tell me a little bit about um, as you moved through, um, through your life.
1: Sure. I believe that all three cultures and navigating them and integrating them and synthesizing them help make me the person and the professional and the individual that I am today. Uh, so coming from Singapore, uh, where it is a... Confucian—it's—it's uh, it's Westernized culture with a Confucian undertones, is how I would describe it. Interesting, yeah. Um, and in that, there are there's certainly a a um. As far as Singapore is concerned, there is the sense of the collective being more important, mm-hmm. and and you know if if you're familiar with Confucian uh, values there is the the smallest nucleus is the family and that is the most important and then it is the community and then it's the country uh, and and so that's that is that's what i brought with me when i arrived in the united states and specifically hawaii that is the sense of it is more important for the harmony and the good of the, the collective the community mm-hmm. than it is for the individual self so i I came into American culture with those kinds of values where there was a a very, very deep respect for authority, uh, a deep respect uh, for uh, the elderly. So, you know, seniors were considered, they weren't old, they were wise. Mm -hmm. So those those are perhaps some of the more um, pronounced differences between the value system that I brought with me from my birth country to this one.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, That's, you know, I think we're seeing this today just with how countries are um, managing or trying to um, contain this COVID situation. And I know when I traveled through Asia you know, if anybody had a sniffle, they had a mask on. And that was from 20, I mean, it's probably longer than I was there, but I was there 20 something years ago and noticed that. And I thought there's no, nobody in the US would do that. You know, they would just, hey, I got it from somebody and somebody will get it from me mentality. So, um, but that's interesting that you've laid that out in sort of that family country self hierarchy. Um, and certainly we're seeing this with, you know, some people are, you know, they have an issue wearing a mask or keeping a distance or getting a vaccine. I mean, there's just a very different uh, value system here. And um, did you, did you find that overwhelming when you first got And I think maybe, maybe Hawaii was a nice stopping point um, where there's probably a larger Asian population and maybe some similarities based on or, or that some similarities that maybe the mainland doesn't have. Is that a fair assumption?
1: It, it it definitely is a, a good assumption and you're absolutely correct in that Hawaii was a fantastic uh, East meets West, not yeah. to be trite, but they, you know, you you, you do hear <laughs> that sounds about like a book. It, yeah. <laughs> it, it it certainly does, and, and it also sounds like the the uh, You know, economic development boards uh, mantra. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, But is you know Hawaii, the Hawaiian Islands, more specifically, I lived in Oahu, the main island where Honolulu is. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is a it is confluence of Eastern and Western cultures and value systems, and it's really quite interesting because in my ten years there, I I'm a big uh, buff, a big history buff. I, I I enjoy history and and cultural anthropology, that's the other thing that most people probably don't know about me. Um, I, I enjoy those aspects. And so I, I took it upon myself to study the history of the Hawaiian Islands uh, before, before Western uh, contact and, and then after. And certainly before then the, 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 the culture there, uh, it, it was a, a, a monarchy, but it was a queen and not a king there was there was hierarchy but there was a a sense of community and and living was communal um and it it was a very uh it so in in those ways it mimicked some of the values and some of the systems that i came from so hawaii was comfortable to me plus There is a very large, uh, because of its history, which I won't get into the details of, there is a very large uh, Japanese-American presence there. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, They are probably the largest Asian uh, uh, community or or, um, ethnicity or culture that is in Hawaii. Um, Although, you know, many people, any um, person that you talk with who was born and raised in Hawaii will tell you, if you ask them what their heritage is, they would give you at least three different. Oh yeah, uh, different, if if not more. So it's it's quite fascinating. It's a wonderful, wonderful place to be for a lot of reasons. And so I, that was a fantastic stopping sort of interim point for me, where I was able to um, be introduced to Western culture to to this to, to the value of the self. Mm-hmm. To self actualization and self fulfillment, um, but yet still in the context of community. Um, so you are absolutely right. Hawaii was a very very good middle ground, and then when I moved to Atlanta, that was that was more of a cultural shock than Singapore to Hawaii.
0: Yeah, I can I can certainly understand that because there um, is we don't have we don't have a lot of history here in Atlanta we tend to you know if a building's older than 20 years we tear it down we build something new and I think there's there's some of the old south situations we can talk about in a little bit but I think there's also a lot of there's a lot of people in Atlanta that are from somewhere else and so they sort of have their own um, you know maybe culture they brought in but it's not like say a, a bigger city or a more traditional city like New York or Chicago or Boston, where you've got these pockets of ethnicities where you can still kind of hold onto that culture. Certainly San Francisco has embraced a lot of that Asian culture, which I think is really amazing to go and visit. Um, we have some of it here, but it's not quite as obvious or recognized, say as other cities. So did you, have, did you, did you find it hard to sort of um, kind of find your group when you got to Atlanta? Tell me about that assimilation
1: i think for any young professional moving to this city with uh, absolutely zero relationships mm-hmm. uh, you know existing relationships um, atlanta is a tough city it's a very very tough city and and it's this hasn't only been my personal experience i have uh, in my career had the honor of talking and you know mentoring young professionals uh, who who found themselves in the same situation, wherein they they didn't go to a college in the region, so therefore they didn't have existing uh, peer groups when they moved here, yeah. uh, and so on and so forth. And it is very difficult. Uh, it takes uh, a longer time, and it takes uh, some persistence and tenacity to "quote unquote" find your tribe.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and
1: um, and and. And there are, you know, it's it's Atlanta can be a little clickish yeah. in that way. Yeah. So I'd say that, you know, certainly I I was no exception. It it was it was very difficult. I was very fortunate though. So, you know, from a from a career perspective, I think one one of the most important things beyond what a person themselves can control, which is themselves, their their effort and their emotion, is. Um are people along the way who are willing and open-minded enough to consider potential, to see potential, and to take a risk, to, to, mm. to, to, talk, to, to take a chance
2: mm-hmm.
1: on the other person. And this was certainly the case with me. Um, there was an individual, uh, she ran a, uh, the Atlanta office of a very large global marketing communications firm that still exists today. It's, uh, today, it's called uh, the MSL Group. And uh, this individual is Jan Lewin. I'm still in touch with her. Um, and she took a chance on me. Uh, she, you know, all I had in the interview was a letter of recommendation from someone she didn't know in
2: Hawaii.
1: Mm. <laughs> and, um, and my resume and her instinct. And, um, and she, she told me that in the interview, I'll, still, I'll always remember this of Jan, is that she says that, you know, you have to be a, a brave person, you have to be, there has to be something about you more than the, the rest, because you were brave enough to take a chance and move thousands of miles away from everything that you knew
2: mm-hmm. and
1: all the relationships that you had made, personal and business, to come here and to start new. And that is something. So she um, she moved me, advanced me in the process, and I uh, and introduced me to the person who wound up being my hiring manager. And that was how I got my first job here in Atlanta.
0: That's great. And I know sometimes it takes networking to really find um, that that into a company or an organization, Um, but to kind of come here, you know, really without, hey, Jackie, we've got a spot for you, you need to move to Atlanta and start your life here. Um, That takes a lot of tenacity, you know, and especially I think being female, being Asian, you know, there's a lot of things that aren't necessarily um, comfortable or welcoming. Um, in some ways for you to do that. So really kind of speaks to your drive and your willingness to do what it takes to, um, you know, pursue your passions. Did you feel like you were doing something um, out, you know, kind of out of the norm? Or was it just, hey, this is my, this is my direction. And I know where I'm headed, I'm going to be great wherever I land.
1: I had to be candid, I, I can't say, I I can't attest to the fact that I was supremely confident um, when I was moving here, um, that I would immediately land a job. Um, I think that, so when I moved here, I I had already amassed a certain number of years of experience. And Mm -hmm. I think I truly believe that um, taking on and interviewing for roles that perhaps were more junior than my capability was the willingness to do that and to not sort of turn that down and see that as a a something that was less and and just to be open-minded about the opportunities and just be willing to to handle the rejection because I knew that there would be and it wasn't pleasant I I, you know I'm not going to code it rejection is never pleasant um Mm -hmm. and the and the the day that it it gets pleasant is the day that I know something is really very wrong (laughs) with myself um so I, I truly believe that my willingness to, to take a chance to venture out of my comfort zone uh, and to try something new and to consider possibilities instead of looking at as the scenarios and the situation as uh, you know, challenges and objections and barriers. I think that, that mindset and attitude stood me in good stead. That and just the great fortune. It, it was truly luck. I was truly fortunate in meeting Jan Lohan. Uh, I yeah. truly was and uh, having her interview me because she, she is somewhat not, I didn't know this at the time, but she's definitely a kindred spirit because yeah. um, so, so Jan, you know, Jan is retired. Jan in her career um, was an amazing woman. She continues to be an amazing woman. Um, I have, Utmost respect for her, but today um, she is retired from what we consider regular business. She is thriving as an artist. Oh wow! Uh, she paints, and um, and she's and and she's a successful, commercially viable painter. Um, and not only that, in in true Jan Lewin fashion, um, she's created a studio and a space, a physical space, for other painters who may not. Uh, who, who are painters, uh, they are into their you know, retirement years, mm-hmm. but, but they had found uh, a, a calling as a painter or an, a, as an artist working with different media. And she created a studio, a space for them uh, to be able to explore their, their talents that they, they latently always had, but just couldn't, for a variety of circumstances in their life, Explore. Yeah. So I mean, even today, Jan is creating creating possibilities for other people to realize their potential. Yeah. So um, I, I have such tremendous love and respect for her and always will.
0: That's great. And it's 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 awesome to have somebody who can kind of see the gifts that a person has, even if they don't necessarily realize it and be willing to nurture that and provide opportunities for you to grow and get more comfortable you know so you certainly did that with your career it sounds like and even with artists you know if if you haven't painted ever and all of a sudden you're 65 and you, you discover oh I think I understand colors and textures and all that and five years later you're selling paintings to you know galleries or whatever it's um you know it takes a certain certain person to be able to kind of First, identify that and encourage that, and grow that. So, I imagine she was a good, a good mentor and a friend for you over the years.
1: She, yes, she definitely Jan Lewin definitely became a friend over the years. I mean, i've I've made it a point to keep in touch with her, uh, both you know, just in person as well as via social media. So she's she's just delightful. Um, everyone should have a Jan Lewin in their lives, <laughs> in my opinion.
0: That's 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 a good uh, that's a good uh, phrase to remember. That's for sure. Um, that's great. So tell me, uh, so you get to Atlanta, you're working for Jan. Um, what were things that you were thinking about what you wanted to accomplish? Cause I'm really curious to see how your, your, um, you know, personal growth and your professional growth happened. You know, we mentioned earlier about TEDx and there's just lots of really cool things that you've done. So tell me, um, tell me a little bit about how you've started to flourish once you got to your.
1: Sure. Sure. So, I mean, my, my career at, at, at the NSL group wasn't, you know perfect. Uh, it, there were there were moments of just sheer failure, yeah. And I think one of the most important things uh, for me and for anyone in their career is to is to be okay with failure. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, just just as I said that you know it, it's it's not cool to be okay with rejection, uh, and 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 to welcome rejection. It's on the flip side. You know, one has to get comfortable with failure, not comfortable from the standpoint of accepting failure, but comfortable with the fact that we will fail because, and, and seeing that through failure, you learn a lot more than success. That has always, always been my experience in that when I fail, I, I see, I see, I learn more from that particular failure than I ever had from success. So um, a, a very simple example when I was at M- MSL Group, and, and I'll tell you there are a few more that I love to share um, along the way. Is they um, so I, I took it upon myself. This was sheer in- initiative um, to to do an inventory on on the supply closet at the office at the time, and and so in in my very engineer mind of um, precision and. Uh, what's the word symmetry mm-hmm. I I decided to order um supplies to to a uh, to the inventory level where everything matched <laughs> 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 I know no I, yes um as an engineer so for all the engineers who are listening to this I think you can appreciate the symmetry and the necessity of doing that so mm-hmm. I did and it was, it was terrible because at the time, now I didn't know this at the time, why it was so terrible, but um, the company, the company, like all agencies, have to manage their cash flow very carefully. I think you know where I'm, where I'm mm, going with this. Yep, yep. And, and so since this was a very unexpected expense, and this was not, you know, at the time this was a uh, time of building for this particular office. Um, the The unexpected expense and, and cash flow was just—it was terrible for projections and for reporting, financial reporting, to headquarters. And so, <laughs> my my simple desire for symmetry, what I thought I was doing, a great job, uh-huh. ended up being terrible you know, had ramifications that I couldn't even understand at the time from a financial reporting perspective to headquarters. So that was really terrible. And you, and you would think that for something like that, you know, especially since I was the lowest person on the totem pole, that I would have been fired. But once again, credit to Jan, she was really angry. But I, you know, I was able to keep my job. I had no idea how terrible that mistake was. At the time but now looking back i certainly understood the the terrible implications and ramifications of that so yeah that that was one and and it, it just speaks for a boss who had tolerance for youth.
2: Mm-hmm. yeah
1: <laughs> i mean you know so that that was just yeah so having once that was over, it that was like one of the many reasons why I would walk free fire for that woman, yeah. um, you know, in my tenure there at that organization. So um, there was another failure uh, that was, uh, gosh, perhaps less drastic and less impactful because I was further along my career, but it had to do with, um, it had to do with putting together a... A proposed plan. um, Not, I won't go into deep details. That I thought was just wonderful. That was just amazing. I was like, "Oh my god, they're gonna love it!" And I was proposing it to um, the senior leadership, and I thought it was the best thing since life breath. And I (laughs) went through it. You know, I got through my presentation. I thought I nailed it. And and so, the highest ranking person in the room said oh, okay, yeah, that that's okay. And proceeded to go to the whiteboard and just lay out a completely different plan. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's when I knew that what I had presented was absolutely just not, not only was it not a go, it just completely got tossed into the virtual bin, trash bin, mm-hmm. and we were starting over. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> now i kept my job in that circumstance thank god and yeah. re- and then realized that it wasn't it wasn't that my plan was bad it was my approach to developing the plan that was bad that i tried to do it all by myself
2: mm-hmm. and
1: in you know in my head and in in this is this is perhaps a generality but in as one advances in one's career and one becomes uh, you know in a more senior level where you are interacting with your sort of a overlay and and your your plans will impact others and cross functionally it is really important to bring people into those different leaders of those other functions into the planning process and and just being able to realize that you are now not the creator of the plan You are the architect of the process Mm -hmm. to developing the plan. And this is especially true in marketing. Because if you really think about it, positioning and creating a narrative for the company or for a product is not a person or a department's job. It is that plan, that messaging, that positioning has to be accepted and then carried forth and amplified by everyone in the yeah. company so therefore it cannot those elements cannot be developed in a vacuum
0: that is that is really remarkable that you've got, got that insight was that something that you recognize or was that something, you know, Jan was your your manager at the time. Um, was that something that you had to sort of kind of do a retrospective on? Because I think that's really critical to understand that to, to your, your initial point, you know, failure isn't always bad. It's a learning experience um, and you grow and you understand maybe where you need to do some, you know, self-improvement or thinking about how to work within that team a little bit better. Was that something that you um, just kind of um, gained over um internal introspection or was that something that you talked through with the team?
1: Um, So, so this wasn't at, um, at the MSL group, this was further along in my career. So we're, we're talking non-chronologically. I'm sorry. This is kind of my brain. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Um,
1: This was further along in my career where I was managing. um, I was responsible for a certain aspect of a function and and I had a team that I was leading um, in, in which, you know, I was, I had to interact my part of my responsibilities was interacting Mm cross-functionally. Um, so it, I mean, I think what I'm grateful for was that mistake wasn't fatal and that I didn't lose my job. Um, I am grateful for that because that certainly could have been the case. Uh, and uh, I, I can't say that I immediately after 24 hours or even a week, after that particular failure, I came upon this epiphany. Uh, it, yeah, it, You know, I, I did, I, I would be disingenuous if I told you. So um, candidly, I did feel really bad about that failure. Um, so this whole embracing failure and learning from it, it's people say, they say it as if we would get up in the morning and be able to do it. It's it's over time that one, that that. The the sharpness of failure kind of slowly, slowly becomes less severe, less pronounced. Mm -hmm. Where and or that time in which one feels the sharpness of failure uh, shortens. It 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 becomes shorter and shorter, so that we can, so that the brain can kind of look at the situation and assess in a more dispassionate way, what could have been better? What could have gone better for a more successful outcome
2: or output?
0: That's a really good way to put it. Because yeah, because what I was trying to to, um, just kind of convey to the listeners is that if you do have a failure situation where you've not done well, um, how do you you improve on that? And so for some people, they just want to block it out and say, that was a terrible day. Um, I don't want to ever revisit that again, but what you just described is really helpful. Get a little bit of distance, find some perspective. It's going to hurt. It's going to sting for a while, but then you need to figure out, okay, how do I get better to not only maybe not do that particular situation again, but how do I get better to where I'm more of a valuable, you know, teammate, person, leader, whatever the case is, um, to not be in that same situation again? You know, I think about it. You know, I think about a sports team that gets to whatever the championship of their sport is and they lose, it's soul crushing. And then some people can just think, well, you know, we got close, but, you know, it just wasn't in the cards. Or you can think about, okay, where are my weaknesses? What did I maybe not work on? What are some things to your point where, you know, that that kind of getting feedback from the team and learning to ask for help or whatever um, you're trying to do you know, work on that and sort of, I'll call it the off season, but before your next big presentation or your decision or what you're going to market or go, um, you know, develop something, you know, then you've got some perspective and some learnings that are, you're actually taking action on. So I think that's really valuable for our listeners.
1: Well, good. Great. And so in terms of career development so it it you know it it takes a professional development a, a lot of it I, I attribute much of my my evolution if you would as an individual uh, as a human and as a professional to to the fact that when i was diagnosed with bipolar disorder in 2005 mm-hmm. um, i i had to go i i was prescribed a treatment protocol that also involved talk therapy. And uh, th- there were other components to that protocol that I still to this day uh, follow, but talk therapy is, is I-, I think of it as um, a guided, a way to introspect and to reflect upon one's self, And why things, why one behaves in certain ways, in certain situations, um, in a guided fashion by a professional who who guides with no judgment. So, Mm -hmm. um, and so I attribute, you know, much of the maturation process to and self reflection and self awareness to being in talk therapy because in talk therapy, in many sessions that I've had, um, we talk about, you know, I would bring up situations where I feel a certain way, uh, where I, I behave in a certain way that I have no, I don't feel like I have agency over. I, I, I can't control certain behaviors and certain emotions that are very, very intense. And, and we talk about that, we, we explore the why. Um, and, and look for root causes. Sometimes there is no root cause um, because what I have, bipolar disorder is a, a function. It's a result of chemistry imbalances in the brain um, that we, we sort of calibrate with, uh, with a drug protocol as well as talk therapy and, and other you know, measures. Mm-hmm. So what, what has happened though is um, this, this guided and prescribed moments and sessions of introspection and discussion of, about one's behavior, my behavior and my feelings um, and, and situations really trained me to introspect. <laughs> it trained me to reflect upon what has transpired, good or bad. Um, it's and, and it's become a habit. It's quite yeah. interesting.
0: Was that natural for you or was that a uh, learned... Um, skill that you had to acquire over time
1: learn skill totally learn skill totally learn skill so so and and this is where you know uh, in in Singapore uh, in much of Asia mental health and going seeking mental health uh, experts care um, is still very very stigmatized interesting
0: Um, tell me more about that
1: Yeah, it is very, very stigmatized. And I'll I'll give you an example, even in a, and and I won't go into details to who, just to protect their identities. Um, uh, Someone very close to our family um, in a very, very senior position in an American based company. Uh, This person led, was very, very, very senior in the Asia Pacific region for this company. Um, This company just happened to have their regional headquarters in Singapore. This person uh, suffered a complete mental episode uh, wherein they were incapacitated for multiple months and had to be medicated and uh, go through everything that I went through. Mm -hmm. Um, And this person wasn't treated with kindness or compassion this person was given severance and and that was the end of that yeah and and this this person had served the same company for over 20 years so i kind of want to give you some context there it wasn't just a new employee or anything this is a very senior person with 20 years at the company had rose through the ranks was very well regarded yeah, but but this particular episode was a very severe, very obvious. It was very obvious, very you know, um, it it was witnessed by many people, and there was absolutely zero compassion. There was severance, and then it was just swept under the rug, um, and and society there, you know, sort of it, it was talked about in in whispers. Mm. It's, <laughs> it's it's the kind of thing where. You know, the poor person walks into the room, and you can tell people kind of like get silent. Yeah, that that is still the case there. Um, this happened fifteen years ago, and uh, when I went back in two thousand and uh, I, I visit Singapore pretty regularly because my whole family is still there. When I was back there uh, in two thousand and nine, um, certainly you know things were a little bit better, but not but not very much so in terms of mental health. It, it was still a shock. Uh, my family members even were not, they were they were uncomfortable. I mean, they were compassionate because they're my family,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, but but they were uncomfortable. They they didn't know what to say, how to say it, how to, you know, they were very awkward. It was a very awkward thing. And, you know, I spent most of my time having to make them feel comfortable
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> with my <laughs> condition. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> They're the ones struggling with it not you right <laughs> Yes
1: exactly I mean yeah. I'm the one you know I'm 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 like dealing with it I mean, you know, it, mm-hmm. it, it is what it is I mean that's kind of the fatalistic by the way that's very it's the um I I I'm, I'm not religious by any means but uh but I lean toward you know more of the the buddhist sort of fatalistic like you know things happen for a reason this happened for a reason I will there's something I'm sure there's a lesson in here someplace i just have to be patient right. and yeah. and and wait for it to come you know so that's kind of what i did um so i i'd say that it, it is very very hard I, I can it's hard for people today here even those that grew up in america should they be you know afflicted um or diagnosed it's very very difficult, I believe, for um, people of Asian descent um, because there there's just such a gosh, it's such a culture of performance and perfection. Mm.
0: <laughs> that's that's what you strive for. Um, yeah, generally speaking.
1: Yes, yes, uh, yes. And I, I mean that's how I was raised. It, it's it's the whole country of Singapore is about performance and perfection because it's, you know, it's Singapore prides itself as a meritocracy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if, if, if you're talented and you put your talents to work, well then you will advance in all ways. And, but that isn't, but there's a very, um, there is a power structure that defines what that is, what advancement is and what talent is and what success is. Yeah. <laughs> um, in, in the United States, there is, there's space for for there to be different definitions of success, which I'm very grateful for.
0: Yeah, do you feel like, um, and this is sweeping generalization, but in Asian culture with sort of family being, you know, sort of that focus, is there, if if I'm diagnosed with some mental illness or some other, you know, issue, is, is it more of a reflection on my family that they wanna to try to minimize that or, um, is it just more of the culture of not talking about sensitive things or things that are new or things they don't necessarily understand
1: um I can't speak for everyone I can tell you that it is in my family and uh you know my extended family uh, it's they're not ashamed of me I and mean, certainly they're very proud of what I've done here in the United States in terms of, you know, I'm completely independent. I've made a life, I've got a career, Mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. You know, all the markings of what is defined as successful. Yeah. Um, But it's not something that they, I mean, put it this way, you wouldn't hear any of my family members go, you know, I'm really, I, I think Jackie's really brave. She has overcome mental her mental illness issues and challenges and just being able to adapt and find ways to to live her life you would yeah. not hear them say that in that way what they would most likely say is oh you know she's doing good
2: yeah <laughs>
1: so um, so it, it, there's a different it's a little nuance of a difference here mm. uh that i'm speaking of and it's not you know, in the overall scheme of things, it's not a big deal, but from my perspective, as an advocate of just being able to have conversations about mental wellness Mm -hmm. and and mental health, um, I'd like to see them do better.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that it's, one, I think it's very brave for you to talk publicly about, you know, your experience. And I think that you are certainly a great example and a role model for not having this define you, you know, you've done so many great things in your career. And personally, I think you're a really tremendous human being. And so this shouldn't never define you. And I think we're slowly getting there in terms of talking about things. And certainly with, you know, medication, I think it can, can, you know, help to kind of minimize some of the the, uh, issues that, that you deal with. I know I had some of um, mental illness in my family and, you know, you sort of go back 30 years or even longer um, it just was never really talked about like, well, that's just who they are. Um, and then anything that they did was sort of, you know, then attributed to that mental illness rather than just, you know, it's no different than what we were talking about with failure, you know, earlier in this conversation. So I think it's been, it's remarkable that you're able to, to come forward. I know you had a, a Ted talk about it. And so I think with may being, you know, uh, mental health awareness month, I think it's really a great, conversation for us to have and continue to have that, you know, this isn't something that's, uh, should necessarily define you, but it also explains some things maybe internally that you were dealing with. And now you've got, you know, tools and techniques that you can, you know, minimize that or use it to, in some ways to advantage, you know, I know there, there are people that have autism or other, you know, um, I don't, want, I don't
1: know how to categorize it's a them. New, it's a neuro, um, yeah. Yeah. just uh, you know the condition it's it's that's what autism is it's <clears throat> it's a condition
0: yeah and I think that <laughs> but there are you know there are there are talents that come out of you know leveraging that's probably the wrong word to use but to overcome it and find you know ways that they are just remarkable in other areas I that define you so
1: yeah um so since you brought up you know may and mental health awareness but I'd say that the the fallacy is there are a few fallacies here, many actually. So, it, but there are, there are a few that I want to point out because they've been applied to me, and I want to dispel them immediately. Yeah, please do because um, I I don't
0: know a lot about this, so I'm glad we're having this conversation.
1: So there's this fallacy that oh gosh, um, you uh, you have bipolar disorder, so that makes you more creative.
0: Mm. Is that one <laughs> and, of the? Uh, yeah. This, this group, okay.
1: Yeah, it's quite interesting. Um, so, I that that has no scientific fact to it. If people think I'm creative, then I'm creative, but I'm not creative because of my disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there had, you know there, there's absolutely no just scientific research that shows that people with bipolar disorder are more creative than some other creative person who hasn't been diagnosed. Uh, that is really important. So, um, there's also this idea of overcoming, uh, there's it's kind of so it it would be saying um, this person has type two diabetes and they've overcome it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I'd say that we adapt, we find ways to just like a person with type two diabetes adapts and copes and manages
2: mm-hmm.
1: by by you know eating well, by exercising moderately, you know those things, those self-care actions, um, we, I, with my bipolar disorder, I adapt and I manage with self-care. I, you know, I walk, I make sure that I have the amount of sleep every night that helps me be well and be able to process and interact Reasonably well with other humans during the day, yeah. Um, and uh, I, I eat, re- you know, reasonably well, and uh, so you know, I and I avoid, you know, I I avoid situations that could trigger certain emotions that then lead me into a spiral of behaviors that are not positive. Mm-hmm. So, so these are all done with intention and awareness and they take practice. And, and so it's not, it's never overcoming because you can't really overcome your DNA, your, your chemistry, Yeah. you, you manage it, you, you adapt and you cope. So that's really important to understand too. And it's an, it's a, it's a process for everyone. It's a journey for everyone and everyone's journey is different. Now I, can tell you unequivocally that I'm one of the few, I'm one of the very fortunate ones where I'm defined as a high performing person with bipolar disorder and that I am able to uh, perform and exist and interact at the level that I do. There are many, many, many people with the same diagnosis as I, whose, whose symptoms are so severe, that they either take longer to be able to perform in the way that I am or they never ever will. Yeah, um, And that's important too because not everyone has the ability chemistry wise. Um, it's not the same for everyone is my point because it's brain chemistry imbalances and it's different uh, degrees of severity. So not everyone can overcome. Not everyone can adapt the way that I am, That I have adapted. So that's really important to note as well.
2: Yeah,
0: um, and maybe for those that are struggling with that, certainly working with a medical professional to understand what your unique situation is and how you manage that, either with medication or some of the, you know, the yeah. proactive steps that you were talking about. You know, can
1: yeah.
0: you know? It's everyone's different.
1: know, everyone's different. And, and for, for the people who have been diagnosed, I I just wanted to want to be very clear that, you know, there's no sort of gold standard. Yeah, it's, it is, it is what that, that, that caliber, that level, that standard is where you are currently um, in in terms of managing and adapting. And I I just want to make that super clear.
0: No, that, that definitely helps. That's, um, that's a really good description of it. For, so what advice would you have for folks that may be struggling, um, with, and I don't know a lot about, um, I guess the early symptoms of bipolar, but, um, just a, a open-ended question for you. What advice would you give for, for folks that may be struggling with something like this?
1: Well, for the people who've been just diagnosed, um, my one statement would be, you are not alone. Um, one of the most pronounced uh, emotions that I had when I was first diagnosed was the sense of overwhelming aloneness mm. and uh, helplessness, um, because there's, you know, there's fear, there's helplessness, there's a sense of what what's going to happen now? There's a sense of just sheer terror that comes from uncertainty with one's ability to, to think, to behave, to control behavior, all Mm -hmm. of those things. And, um, I'd say that for the recently diagnosed, please, please see this as a journey. Seek professional help. Uh, talk therapy is good. Um, psychiatrist is necessary. Um, their medication is necessary. Um, you may not find the right psychiatrist or a talk therapist. The first go around you might be several times before you find the right fit. Um, there is such a thing as fit when it comes to your mental health, uh, professional, I would say, get lots of sleep, take, that if you have a television in your bedroom, remove it at once. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of us are
0: bad about that.
1: <laughs> um, it is, it, it's an epidemic. Um, I, I hate using drastic, dramatic words like that, but it really is. Um, because there are signs behind the fact that watching television and falling asleep too, it disrupts sleep. Does not give any person, much less people with, brain chemistry imbalances. Uh, It doesn't give anyone good sleep.
0: Yes, you're right. Restful
1: sleep. So uh, to your listeners, those diagnosed and those with no diagnosis, it doesn't matter. If you have a television in your bedroom, please do yourself a favor, remove it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and you've talked really a lot about just being proactive about things. And sleep is something that I don't think a lot of people really focus enough on, you know, it's, it's, you know, the night before you just want to veg out, um, you wind up, you know, channel surfing or you're, you land on some show that really doesn't matter. And then, you know, 6.00 AM the next morning, you're, you're wondering why, you know, watching an episode of friends was important at midnight, but you're you're going (laughs) to suffer for the next, you know, 12 hours or so. So that's.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So I, I'd say, you know, so I, and I get that. I still, I still get that. I get restless at night, mm-hmm. and yes, I, I do like to watch. You know, I mean, binge watching, by the way, it's not good for you either. I'll, I'll just say that. At least <laughs> for, for me, it's not good. Yeah. Um, I'd say that you know, go to sleep at the same time every night. Um, you know, whatever that means, it might be twelve midnight for you. Set up a routine.
2: Uh, it, yeah. Set
1: up a routine. So what that means? Okay, what that means? It's really easy to say. Oh, sleep at the same time every night. The, What that really means is at least two hours before that time, set up a routine that is your wind down routine,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: whatever that is. So for me, it's getting into my pajamas. Um, It's going into a certain room in my house. It's journaling. It's writing a page, committing to writing a page in my journal. Yeah. And then by the time I'm done with all of that, I'm fairly relaxed.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, well, and you're not dealing with screens either, which I think is we're bombarded with them throughout the day. So having a couple hours. Yeah.
1: Two hours before your set time to go to sleep. Do not look at screens. Any screen.
0: And it's it's hard for me. It's so hard, you know, we're so addicted to them. There's so much information you get from it, but it's, well, truly it really pays off.
1: Incremental. So, you know, forming a habit has to do with repeating something over time, the same thing over time in increments. It's like exercise, the same thing. So maybe it's for the first, you know, for the first month, it's 15 minutes. Yeah. Second month, it's, you know, increase it to 30 minutes before sleep.
0: And, and you're, you're gaining you Know traction, you, you're it's easy to do 15 minutes, so you're not yeah. getting, um, you know, uh, uh, not distracted but um, defeated with all right. Well, yeah, I set this goal and I can't do two hours. See, I tried the last two nights and it doesn't work well. 15 no. minutes start with
1: that, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and and, and it, it may not be 30 consecutive days that you're able to do 15 minutes, and this is the part where you know failure is okay,
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: You know, it's it's just a slip.
2: It's right.
1: <laughs> it's just a slip.
0: But all it's, this really helps you to cope the next day.
1: Yes. Yeah. And there by the way there's a sense of accomplishment and 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 this is something that you can put in your journal too. Like, you know, um every day like, you know, 15 minutes check.
2: It's, yeah.
1: It's just for for some people like for me, I love even in the day of uh, digital, I still love making physical lists. Because mm-hmm. it's it's that, that visceral tactile motion of crossing out something. Yep,
0: yep. <laughs> Checking that off it feels yes, so good, doesn't it?
1: It it does. And that's positive reinforcement. And so what 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 you're doing is you're training your neural pathways to to, to behave in a certain way, and you're training yourself, you know, your brain to, to think a certain way, to behave a certain way. So in little increments. And over time and being okay with slipping, uh, you know, every once in a while in that process, just slipping, it's okay. Because most people get very, very frustrated. I get very, very frustrated. I should say most I get very frustrated if I slip. And that's why I'm making such a big point about not worrying about slipping and just trying again.
2: Yeah. It
1: really bugs me. And so yeah. it's I, I can't help my my value system that I grew up with. <laughs>
0: Well, yeah, because you you were saying earlier about sort of striving for perfection and, and all that, and so slipping doesn't always tie into that.
1: Oh in no, the, it,
0: in the obvious it, sense, right?
1: Yes, slipping is the an- antithesis one would think about perfection and performance.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, um, so as long as we're talking about May, it's also uh, was it Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month? Is that yes. that's correct? So yes, tell me a little right. bit about that. Cause I, I don't know a tremendous amount, but I, I'm trying to be more aware just around Asian culture and what's happening today. So tell me a little bit about what that means.
1: Well, you know, um, I think it's really interesting. So in, in Georgia, there, there was that horrible spate of killings. Of mm-hmm. um, uh, I think it was like six, six people were just brutally killed and they yeah. shot down. Yeah. A um, locations,
0: it was not good.
1: Yeah. So I, I, I had very mixed feelings about that. I had, you know, this would be the first time publicly that I'm talking about the incident and, and such. Uh, I think, so that case is still under investigation and such, and, you know, the, the murderer was caught, so the gunman was caught. Um, I, I was very angry and sad all at the same time that it took just the senseless taking of life for, for the, for the politicians, and the media. Actually, uh, I'm sure there were politicians who were very cognizant of the problem with, you know, uh, hate crimes against people of Asian heritage, mm-hmm. uh, AAPI, that's everyone short form these days. Um, they, politicians were very well aware and there were bills and, and, you know, there was legislation that was trying to be made and all that good stuff, but media had not really paid attention. And, and as you might've noticed, you know, media really hasn't paid attention anymore. I mean, it's kind of died down. You don't see it in the news anymore, but, but Asian, uh, you know, hate crimes, brutal hate crimes against um, AAPI is still happening. It's, it's been happening forever yeah uh, and it just took that terrible, terrible incident for people for the media to realize and then for there to be this fervor. What I would like to see um, is is this uh, is continued and sustained efforts to to change behaviors and I think it starts with children. It starts with the young and you know as all things uh, mm-hmm. it starts with the young. I mean there are. Uh, parents today, AI AAPI parents today, who have real concerns about their children going back to school when we can all put our kids back physically to school. Yeah, um, you know what kind of harm are they are they are they exposing their children to at school? Um, there's there needs to be an education. There needs to be education. There needs to be awareness. There needs to be an appreciation. Now I'll tell you, there's this, I I have this wonderful friend um, and I'm not afraid to, well, I I don't think I'm going to say her name just because she is uh, quite a prominent person um, in government. And so she is of uh, South Indian descent and uh, you know, she, her parents moved here and she has kids. And so she, she was recounting to me many years ago um, that, her sons would go to school, and you know, the the other kids in school would tease him about his skin color, about where he came from,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and and just say uh, just terrible, you know, racial slurs about um, the cooking and the and their some of the you know practices. Um, just normal things that you would think it's like saying, you know, gosh, you know, you, you cook black eyed peas and, 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 uh, and, and you eat those for the new year's for good luck. That's Collard greens silly. and black eyed peas. Collar, yeah. 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 It's it's like those kinds, I mean, teasing. Uh, can you imagine being teased about that? That, that's some sort of a backward, you know, superstitious and, and somehow ignorant thing to do. Yeah. Right. I mean, we, okay. So it, it was a very similar, similar types of taunts and, and such that her kids had to go through. While she being just the awesome human being that she is, she, um, her, she invited these kids to her house and started cooking for them. Yeah. <laughs> and so that they could become, well, first of all, it humanized her family mm-hmm. and it introduced these kids to her culture. And you know, food is a very, very big part of Asian culture. Many, many Asian cultures, uh, South Indian cultures, being one of them. It, it is for the Chinese culture, for, for my family as well. Food is very, very important. So she started cooking for them and inviting them back, you know, to her home. And now, you know, her her son's grown, uh, done with college, is now you know in the workforce. And those those boys that taunted him, they're they're his friends. Yeah. (laughs) They're, they're now lifelong friends. And so
0: that's amazing. And it doesn't take much, but it's, it's like you said, it's humanizing a situation and, you know, it's really easy to put a label on something or somebody um, because it's, it doesn't humanize them. But when it's, when it's a person's name or their family, or this is their home and this is the food they eat and it's, pretty tasty stuff so you know then it <laughs> you break those barriers down and yeah it, it's hard it's harder to be you know racist or taunting um because you know it, they become a friend you know like you mentioned. Right. that's a great right. story
1: um so I I think for for this month and maybe if we can we can all start this month and then it becomes a habit is you know if you're curious like you know I, I just want you say I know nothing about dot, dot, dot. Well, try, yeah. um, you know, pick up, go around the internet um, and find a book on, you know, pick one country, uh, one one Asian culture, uh, maybe it's South Asians, uh, South Indians, maybe it's, it's um, Chinese specifically. There's a very rich history of how the Chinese um, came to America. Um, you know, I, I'm not Certainly, if you're familiar, but many of the Chinese today um, who live in who can trace their family history to uh, New York and, and other places like that, and in San Francisco, there they can trace their 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 forefathers to the people who originally came here to build the railroads.
2: Yeah,
0: I do remember learning a little bit about that. Yes. yeah.
1: So, I mean, you know, there are are documentaries now, there are for people who learn more visually, there are books, um, there's a whole variety, there's a whole wealth of information and media in various formats that would appeal to any sort of learner. Um, You know, pick one and then maybe pick one every month to learn more about, just to understand their journey. I'm a firm believer that when we understand um, journeys that people have traveled, that it is so much easier to see them as human.
2: Yeah.
0: That's a really good idea. Um, You know, I I tend to talk to people individually, but it's really hard to get context of history from a conversation with one or two people. Um, so that's a really good idea. It's, it's sort of like what you were talking about earlier about building a habit. You know, you take one, you know, a month and learn about one particular culture and it gives you a little bit of context around it and some perspective of, you know, I mean, I'm I'm a white male born in the U.S. You know, it didn't get any easier for me. And um, it's it's really, I think, informative for me to have that understanding of people's challenges. And maybe even if, you know, somebody was born here, but their family struggled you know, that weighs a lot on that individual in terms of how they behave, how they treat, um, you know, their family. And um, so I think it's, it's, I'm finding it more, I'm not a huge, you mentioned you were a huge history buff and I typically haven't been, but as I get older, I find myself asking the why question, why is it like this? And then that starts to lead to, all right, well, I need to do some more education and talking to people for me helps to kind of give some motivation, but I think that's really good to start reading more.
1: Yeah. Uh, and, and it's just like, um, so it's not just reading. I mean, there are documentaries now, It's just the wonderful world of, you know, cable and.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but not two hours before bed, you know.
1: <laughs> but yeah, but not two hours before bed. Um, uh, although um, you are, I believe you're able to read a book two hours before bed if it makes you go to sleep.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I in, you know, I, I really struggle with carving out time to read. Um, it's not something I was ever really um, good at, um, reading uh-huh. was sort of like forced for school, you know, but for reading for pleasure, I think is something I'm, I'm starting to appreciate more of. And so, yeah, that's, really, yeah, it's, it's a good yeah, idea.
1: Well, there, there are people, um, there are people who are very, uh, who are very curious and they're lifelong learners. Mm -hmm. and and just cultivating like i said it's about a habit right it's cultivating um that 15 minute increment yeah kind of habit of of learning um it's it becomes easier as time goes by
2: yeah
0: that's that's for sure well this has been great jackie um i have learned a lot in our conversation today and so thank you for being honest and really sort of you know providing some context around some of the challenges and opportunities that you've gone through, as well as, you know, as society, you know, what we can learn about with mental health and, um, you know, Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. So there's a lot to learn this month. So thank you so much for your time today.
1: You are welcome. It was a pleasure being here. And uh, as always, thank you for all the curiosity and questions.